listening to Affect Autism, where Affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. Hello, we are back this week after a holiday yesterday here in Canada. And we have with us Jahan Shahata Abubakar. She is a speech and language pathologist in Thornhill, Ontario, which is just north of Toronto, at Clinical Communication Consultants, where she practices speech and language, social communication, with a functional, pragmatic, and a DIR floor time approach. That's the Developmental Individual Differences Relationship-Based Model. She is also a DIR expert provider and trainer with ICDL, the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning, and also faculty with Perfectum. And today we are going to be talking about something that we haven't really discussed here at Affect Autism, but I know is a big uh, concern for a lot of parents, and that is scripting in our children. So welcome, Jahan. Welcome, and thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, I've wanted to do a podcast with you for so long. Um, Jahan and I met through ICDL, and we've been working together on uh, advocacy in Ontario, where we live, trying to get uh, developmental approaches funded here. So we've gotten to know each other quite well, and we finally get to do a podcast together. And um, it's great to have you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, really very excited because the topic of scripting uh, is um, many of our kids um, um, autistic um, do uh, scripts and um, there were always different questions about scripting and different outlook onto scripting. So um, I'm going to share my understanding of scripting after more than 35 years of practice and um, what it works and what didn't work for me. So... Well, let's start with defining scripting because my understanding of it which may or may not be complete, is that the child will recite lines that they've memorized. So it might be from a TV show uh, that they watch. Very common is Thomas the Train. They'll say something that they heard, and they'll just say it over and over again. Um, My son, who just turned 10 last week, believe it or not, my little baby is 10, he um, is, is scripting, and I've noticed the scripting he, that he does change over the years, and we'll talk about that going forward too. And his scripting um, might be reciting lines, but I've noticed that um, he hasn't really done that as much as he does apply it to specific situations. So if he sees something happen where we might say, whoa, look at that. Instead of saying, whoa, look at that, he'll say, gasping geckos, which is from the PJ Masks cartoon. So he will use scripts that he's heard, but he'll use it in appropriate social situations um, as opposed to just um, other things. Whereas I've seen other children 
script in in and we'll talk about uh this going forward the function of scripting but they'll if they get a little bit anxious they'll just start reciting lines to themselves so let's first uh talk about what is scripting and maybe there's more than what i just described there are there are different shapes and colors of scripting and we all, and we put it under the heading of scripting like you have echolalia and you have scripting echolalia is when they repeat what you say and uh, scripting of um, a sentence a phrase or sentences um, is another form of uh, scripting um, it, the scripting could be um, with themselves um, uh, as they might be standing in front of the mirror uh, or they may use it uh, in a in what I call functional way, in a communicative way. And um, scripting are words, sentences. Um, I will focus for the sake of time on scripting of uh, sentences, um, repeating chunks uh, of words in phrases, sentences, in an interactive sense um, while they are interacting with you. Uh, just like the example that you've just given us here. Scripting is language. And uh, language in a social sense, um, not academically if we're talking math or if we're talking science or socials, it has a purpose. Uh, and the child is, or the person, is scripting to share meaning. There is an intent, a social intent, an expression of feelings, expression of experiences, that they carry it from their own world of knowledge, but they don't have the language in terms of content, ideas, knowledge about the world, the grammar, and the context, the use of it. They have the use, they have the world knowledge, but they may not have the language in terms of structures, and grammatical uh, forms. Um, they haven't been able to break the code. It's, it is, um, you want to call it a problem in terms of language, especially language comprehension. And um, it may not be um, as expected um, when we come to use language or quote-unquote appropriate um, from our perspective. Um, so, so let's break that down a minute because you said a whole bunch of important things there. And the first thing I think that you said that some people might not realize or maybe didn't think about or 
possibly even disagree with, is that you said the scripting is functional and it comes with intent and expression of feelings and, and reactions. And I think that's where a lot of confusion comes in because if we hear a child saying, and I wish I could, I, I, every parent listening right now is yelling at me all the scripts that are common that their kids say, and, and I'm trying to, I'm struggling with one, but let's just say something like, um, look out, Thomas, he's about to crash, watch out, or something like that. And the kid just randomly starts to say, look out, Thomas, here it comes, the kid's about to crash, or they're going round through the tunnel, coming around the bend, and they're just sort of saying this over and over again. It just seems like this child memorized something and they're just randomly talking to themselves um, and there's no purpose or meaning behind it. And that's the big misconception that you're shaking your head so emphatically about that, no, this is, they are, I think you made a good point that we'll get into um scripting across developmental levels, but if their capacity for language has not yet developed to the point where they can express what's inside of them in a functional way that you and I can, and and trust me, even I can't think of the functional way to express myself many times through language. Um, And that's, that could be part of dysregulation if the child is dysregulated because they can't express themselves, but it need not be. Um, It might just be that they're trying to say, hey, I really like what you're doing. And what comes out is whatever, (laughs) gasping geckos. (laughs) This example, we also use expressions, a lot of expressions in our day-to-day social interaction. Um, And they are expressions. Maybe if we look at what they're coming with, as we use expressions, we would be able to better approach it. Um, Scripting is an entry to language for the little ones who haven't yet uh, mastered their language. It's an entry point uh, for us uh, to engage um, if they're coming to us and we perceive what they're trying to, uh, the idea they have and they want to figure it out, go deeper in the concept, or it's sharing a feeling, an emotion, um, we, we say, oh, that's neat, that's cool. Their way is coming with a line uh, out of the many, many, many repeated uh, vigil um, uh, movies. Uh, and they get the feeling, they get the reason uh, within that movie, and all what they do is use the expression, the words, the phrases. And they use it quite appropriately in the context of your interaction with them. We need to look at the intent, at the purpose. This is quite different from what many of us 
hear, uh, oh, they're soothing themselves. Um, they're trying to regulate. They, uh, it's inappropriate. Um, you need to um, ignore it. You need to redirect them to the context uh, of an activity that you want them to do while they might be engaging in play, uh, a play of a, a drama that is taking place based on what they want to figure out out of their own movies. And that's our entry point to engage, to engage within the same idea. Yes. Yes, and, and this approach is very much a relational developmental approach that you're talking about to scripting versus, like you said, a more um, structured or behavioral therapy approach that might consider um, scripting inappropriate. And I know I've read a lot of things um, from self-advocates that really make you giggle when you read it because they're basically right. They're saying, uh, they, I wish I had it in front of me now. Um, I wish I had saved it, but they gave a bunch of examples of things that neurotypical people do and say that don't make any sense at all and might even be ridiculous yet. We're accepting them as social norms, but for some reason their scripting is considered not normal and need to change it. And it's, it's a very arrogant way of approaching it. Like, oh, our way is better, so therefore you need to change and you can't script anymore. Instead, what you're saying is, and it, this is very consistent with the DIR model, the Developmental Individual Differences Relationship-Based model that we talk about here at Affect Autism, is looking at that intent. And if you realize, you know, these kids are as bright as you or I, and to think otherwise is really our deficit, not theirs. Um, we need to go in and as, as the parent, as the caregiver, as the provider uh, at daycare or school, you get to know these children. And if you're really attuned to them, you can understand the intent behind what they're saying. And like you said, um, that they are really appropriately matching the feeling, the, the um, atmosphere in the moment with their scripts. And the other thing I wanted to mention when you said about movies or, or whatever, a lot of kids that are autistic are watching movies, watching iPad, watching shows, and they like that because it's very predictable. They can go back and watch it over and over again. And although we might think, oh, screen time is bad and, and let's minimize screen time. And while there are very legitimate reasons to do so, when they are doing this, they're trying to figure out the social world. And like you said, this is their form of play, practicing with, oh, I like the way that person expressed this and the expression they used. So by them repeating it over and over again, they're trying to learn that experience. And all children do this in play. They practice real-life um, scenarios and experiment with what happens. And it's our job to go in and engage them, not to ignore them or try and change them, but to engage what they're interested in and help them figure that out by providing that back and forth 
with them. And, 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 and if, if we're thinking that it is this uh, look at scripting uh, based on a developmental understanding, we all know that um, in scripting, it is a language problem. Uh, it's inability to break the code uh, of the language as we know language. Um, and it is, and it indicates um, also a language comprehension piece. But if we look at language development on a developmental basis, we know that for the first year, uh, the kiddo is taking in the world through the interaction and language and comprehension of the world around them through the eyes of the parents, then comes the speech, then comes the words, and they come as single words, then two-word combination, mommy go, mommy shoes, mommy eat, and then the sentences come in. The, after 18, two years, actually, two-words combination come in. So there, is, there are ideas. The kiddos do have ideas do have an understanding of the world around them. It's just they're not yet putting it into words, formulating it into words to share it. So the kiddo who's scripting has an understanding of the world around them, but they're having difficulty decoding this into words and sentences, so they're borrowing it off of the scripts. When the kiddo is scripting, he is sharing meaning. He is sharing experiences. He is sharing ideas. We need to engage, not to shut him off, but to engage with him and start figuring out within the context of our situation with them, the meaning and play it as to deepen the understanding and give them the practice. We need, we need to appreciate and respect the kiddos as partner in the interaction and, and give them that sense of being partner in the interaction. And there we use the words, the sentences, the grammar in our interaction while we're confirming with them that this is their intent, that this is their ideas, that this is their feelings. Um, 
it comes to my mind one of my kiddos. And um, um, the little girl was standing on an ottoman uh, beside a bookshelf. Uh, and I came to her and I told her, careful. Um, and she said, it's raining, it's raining, it's raining. And in that instance, mom translated the, what the little girl was saying. Once upon a time, they were coming out of school and it was pouring rain and they needed to get to their cars with their parents. So in that lineup coming out of the building, the teacher kept on saying, it's raining, it's raining, run, run to the cars. And so it's an expression of feeling danger, need safety. And when I said, be careful, she confirmed my alertness and that state of not being safe by saying, it's raining, it's raining. So in every expression, scripted, well-known phrases, the child is, has an intent either to share information, to confirm a statement, to request. There is a purpose an end product that they would like to see while they're scripting. So it is with an intent, with a purpose. It is atypical because most of those who are scripting are talking. They're verbal. Some of them may have some articulation difficulty, but the speech is there, the expression is there, but it not might it may not be conventional. Right. But the intent is there, the purpose is there. We need to engage yes. with them. I love, love that example you gave because my son does that all the time. <laughs> um and I think when you said, I just want to clarify one thing you said for anyone that it stuck out to, when you said it is a language problem, you mean in the, in the grander scheme of society, people see it as a problem, but I would like to reframe it as where the child is developmentally. So they may not be where their peers are in that they haven't yet developed that capacity to express it in the ways of language convention. Um, to me, I would see that less as a problem and, and more as this is where the child is developmentally. Let's meet them where they're at and let's help them get to where they want to be, where they can express it in um, a more constructive way that other people can understand it and not need that translation from mom. But when you're young and when you're just figuring it out, like that happens to all children. So to me, that's not so much a problem, but I understand you're saying 
in, you know, in the big grand scheme of things when there's clinicians and they're diagnosing and they're figuring out this and that and, and there's issues because they're falling behind in school or whatever, this is how it's looked at. Um, but I love the spin that you're putting on it, which is let's look at the intent and let's look at what they're expressing. Um, it's funny because a lot of times, and I'd love your input on this as a DIR uh, expert, um, my son will often say things that I understand exactly where he's coming from because I've been with him every moment of his life for 10 years, except the hours when he's in school. So I know inside and out all the experiences we've had. And if something's kind of off or funny, right away he'll come up with this, ha, mama thought it was a Hudson, but it was a Pacific. And he's remembering something that happened three years ago in Pennsylvania at the train store when we were watching a train go by and I said, oh, there's the Hudson. And he said, no, mama, that's a Pacific type of train. <laughs> oh, it's not a 484. It's a 482. Got it. The wheel convention. So we giggled about that. And, and, you know, I exaggerated my, I used my affect. I was like, oh, silly mama. I thought it was a Hudson, but it was a Pacific. Oh, silly mama. So he remembered that, and now he recalls it every time something comes up that we, we screw up or, or say incorrectly, and we say, oh, I meant this. And then he points it out. Mama thought it was a Hudson, but it was a Pacific. So that's similar to the it's raining, it's raining, it's raining, right? Yes. Yes. Um, um, and, uh, oh, but, okay, If you, I wanted to say something else about that, but if you want to respond to that part. Well, go ahead. I was I was going to bring the example. I don't know if you've seen the film uh, Life Animated. Um, um, it's a documentary about um, um, a, a person. Now he's a grown-up. Um, his name is Owen. And... Um, he was diagnosed at three years of age as uh, uh, autistic. And uh, he was into Disney movies. And um, the family, uh, to find um, a connecting point, uh, mom and dad and the older brother, uh, with Owen would sit and watch the Disney uh, movies with all the characters, Captain Hawk and um, and so they were introduced to Owen's world of fascination and he at that time was very gibberish and then he um, one day came and used a language, a sentence off of his scripts about him not wanting to grow up, but used it contextually, talking about his fears and his ideas. And the parents could not believe themselves. And from there on, they joined in in role-playing the different characters. And they got it as you got it. 
with your own kiddo and understood the intent, the meaning, and reacts, oh, I got it. Yes, that was so silly. And so you give the sense of appreciation, um, respect, uh, giving him a sense of being a partner in life. And you've said the words that if he could, he would use. And that's an entry to language. Uh, and so if we want to help our kiddos to understand and to use the language, the conventional way, this Owen grew up and went to college and graduated and had an independent life living in an apartment uh, on his own. Um, you have to see that movie. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's beautiful to see and to see what the parents did to help him to go through life. And so if we go back to language, yes, in the world of language and language development, growth, and maturity, we need to have them be able to regulate, to engage, to reciprocate. That's the foundation for language development, first comprehension. And then once there is this back and forth going, then you have the sharing. They have the opportunity, the space, the breathing space to share their ideas in their own language. We go in, we respond. It becomes alive. And they start picking up in that interaction and communication that goes back and forth the what we call conventional language. So if we want to get them to understand, to break the code, we need to engage. Speech does not come before comprehension. Comprehension comes before. And comprehension of being able to be symbolic enough to know that every word, every form, the... The regular past tense ED, the ING, this is a code of language that differs from one language to the other. For them to be able to decode that, they have to be in the interaction. Whether it is from the pragmatic or from the DIR, we need to go to where they are, what they're thinking of, what they're feeling what's their understanding of the world, engage with them and help them to break the code. And I would encourage people to go back and listen to the podcast with Amanda Vins from a few weeks ago where we talked about developmental social pragmatic 
approaches um, is specifically in speech and language and in language development because she goes into some of this stuff in more detail. And the part that you said about playful, where you referenced the movie that I'll put a link to on the blog post, um, that um, playfulness is what I spoke about in the last blog at affectautism.com. Let's take the outcome out of play. And in sometimes something like being scared of growing up is too vulnerable to talk about directly. So doing it through character play is a safer way to do that and to explore and to develop. And, and all of our children develop through playful interactions. So that's why DIR, this approach is so important because it, it is all about playful interactions and keeping it safe with someone you feel safe with who's not going to, what do you mean you're scared of growing up? Why? And put you on the defensive or bully you or tease you and have this safe relationship. It's all about the safety of the relationship within which these interactions take place. And I wanted to bring that to the next topic that I was going to mention carrying on from what we were discussing, which is I spoke with Dr. Gil Tippy, who's a DIR expert and um, was clinical director at the Rebecca school for years. And, and he's now doing, um, some other projects in California that we talked to him about a few weeks back on the podcast as well. He's very concerned with the developmental approach and pushing kids forward in a respectful, gently way, gentle way, um, continuing to work developmentally. So working on that developmental trajectory. So when I would say to him, he, he saw some of these interactions with me and my son and my son would just be bringing in all these, it's a Hudson, that was a Hudson, not a Pacific, uh, blah, 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 blah. And I would constantly be translating for my son. So this will probably depend on where the child is developmentally. So let's talk about scripting depending on where the child is developmentally. But Dr. Tippy said, okay, mom, stop translating for him. He's now developmentally there. He's ready for the next challenge. Let's playfully challenge him and say, what do you mean? Uh, like, instead of understanding and knowing and translating, let's make him do some work to figure out how to communicate, because he's ready now. He won't get super frustrated um, and and be dysregulated. He's, he's ready now to challenge, because he's motivated to be in that interaction with you, Mom. So when he says, Mama thought it was a Hudson, it was a Pacific, I'll say, Hudson? I don't see any trains. What do you mean? And... What, um, I don't like the term playing dumb that we used to use in floor time. I prefer it. Feigning ignorance is a little bit of a mouthful. I like to say um, being playfully clueless. So, hmm, I, I'm not sure. What do you mean? I don't see any trains. What's your take on that when the child scripts, if they're developmentally ready to, instead of jumping in and translating for them, sort of challenging them on, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? I don't get it. Can you explain it to me? As opposed, and this is very different than saying, you're scripting, that doesn't make sense, speak correctly. That's not what we're saying. We're saying this child will need to navigate the social world with people who don't know what he's talking about, like mom does. So let's see if we can get him in a playful, safe interaction with mom to practice expressing what does that mean it's a Hudson not a Pacific to someone who doesn't understand 
yes, and and to your words um, and bills, um, the relationship between the parents and the children, parents and all professionals. Um, we need to be aware of the fact that one, the child needs to be interested. The child needs to be motivated. The child needs to deepen the understanding of his world. So he needs to be appreciated in the back and forth. And our interaction is about wiring the brain and integrating the knowledge and the information while we are wiring the brain. The brain is being wired as the kiddo goes through his experiences, his social experiences with his parents and any other significant person. So yes, developmentally, we have to be at the child's level. Now, challenging, and it is the just right challenge to be able to get to this sense of wiring in an integrated way, the brain. Relating the experience of the now with the past experiences that the kiddo has, so it would be part and parcel of his world knowledge. Now, when we come to the challenge, we have to be presenting the child with the just right challenge. To give you an example out of my life uh, in practice, I had a kiddo and uh, I typically initially assess. Uh, and when I assess, I don't have formal tools and pictures. No, it's within the interaction to try to understand his ideas, the complexity of his ideas, his use of language, and his use of the social acts. So there are set props, if you wish, in the therapy room. And this little kiddo uh, found a crocodile. And I got to understand that his name is not Michael. His name is Crocodile. And I needed to address him as the Crocodile. And I got to understand the crocodile is powerful. The crocodile is strong. He needs to identify with the crocodile. And then there was a stuffed big animal there, which was a tiger. And he wanted to engage with the tiger and he wanted to fight with the tiger. And I knew that there was a language, um, you want to call it problem, you want to call it in terms of the comprehension of language, of that symbolic system. 
And I got to understand as well that um, he uses the scripts. Through the script, I got to understand the role of the crocodile and I was assigned the role of the tiger. And he is interested in peer interaction, but he is uh, being very cautious about it. As kids um, on the spectrum have quite a bit of anxiety and fear because it's so confusing, everything around them, and so maybe overwhelming, and they might be hypersensitive or hypo-reactive, and it's, 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 they're at a loss. And or, so, they might, or they might be defensive because people have teased them or bullied them or a parent who maybe was harsh about things with them. And so their feeling as might be the end product, a limited self-confidence, limited self-esteem, uh, they are at a loss, and he wants to be the crocodile. And I am to be the type. And we had to engage in a fight. Through that engagement, there was playing of a lot of emotion, of feelings, and understanding. And I was able to expand in depth and complexity notion of winning and losing, um, being disappointed, um, being vulnerable, uh, taking turns in being down to the count of three if the tiger is brought down and the crocodile kept him down until a count of three, the crocodile wins and the tiger loses, and he was willing against all odds to, with time, with repetition, every time he came in, we went into the fight. He accepted that the tiger would bring the crocodile down to the count of three, and the tiger wins. And we expanded on the depth of his understanding of such concept as taking turns, as winning and losing. And then we started racing, and there were different ideas than just the fight. So the fact of me buying the idea of scripting joining in, going to the intent and the purpose behind those phrases got us together. We got the regulation, the engagement, the reciprocation, the problem solving, the sharing of ideas. We went to concept of being on top, the spatial one, on top, below, too far, too close, 
And then from living on my words that I use, which is the next step to scripting, to actually independently using those words that indicate concepts, higher concepts in the play. And he was on his way of picking up the conventional language. So do we ignore scripting? Do we take it to be an abnormality or an atypical way of developing language? Based on my experience, I think we gain a lot by joining in, doing our work, not of setting a plan of action for therapy, but setting ourselves to be fine-tuning, as if you have, a, a, let's say, a broken radio, an old radio. You have to check in the FM or the whatever until you get it and you receive it and you start listening. And as you know, we do the three W's. We wait, we watch, we wonder, we join in, and we're sailing together. It's not an easy task. It's not an easy task, but it is the most respectful, uh, beneficial on the long term to do this kind of work than to sit down and plan what kind of props I'm going to use, what do I want to teach, um, what activities to do, and check whether we did it or not. Yeah. And certainly uh, the latter way that you just talked about might just lead to the child memorizing appropriate language without necessarily understanding why or how or generalizing it. Whereas the former approach that you were talking about, which is you wait, watch, you wonder, you meet the child, you join in, you have no agenda. You didn't know anything. You didn't know you were going to be playing a tiger. You didn't know where that was going to lead, but it led to the child. We, we talked about repetition in autism with Dr. Joshua Fader some podcasts ago where we talked about how the child needs to repeat and play these sequences over and over till we learn them, just like when we take piano lessons, we have to practice and do it over and over till we become a more natural at it. Same type of thing. You're playing out something that you're working through in your mind through play. And then eventually he was able to accept that he might also lose. And that's a scary thing to start off with, but then he practiced it. And he, okay. I lost and I'm still Okay. And then you got to the further concepts, like you said, him using your mode of language and then eventually getting to a more conventional use of language. And I would even say, even I would take it even a step further from problematic from to atypical to, I would say, an alternative way. It's an alternative way of developing language because we have so many children who aren't just diagnosed with autism, but autistic kids, other children that have, whether it's dyspraxia or apraxia or all of these other different language issues that uh, are just alternatives to developing language. So um, I think it's so important that, that we talked about all of these things and, and how you 
brought about approaching it. This is where parent coaching comes in so handy in the DIR model where um, a lot of times parents like me are like, I don't know what to do. Like uh, I'm trying to do floor time, but what do I do when my son does this? And sometimes it just took a little bit of parent coaching and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I get it now. Okay. I'm just following the child's lead and I'm jumping in and people don't understand what that means at first, following the child's lead. I, I wrote a blog about that as well, where it's not just following whatever the child does. It's jumping in there, jumping into their world, getting into that world that they're experiencing to help pull them into a shared world where together we're experiencing and we are like their guide. Um, but like you said, making them an equal partner and a partner in the interaction, but we are sort of the guide helping them along that developmental trajectory of theirs when they're ready at their own pace. Yes. And, and, this, is, and this is the meaning that I got uh, from the word floor time. Floor time is not being on the floor. The floor Although it can be. It can be, but that's not. It can yeah. be. But you can get in those moments in the car when giving a bath, sitting at the table, um, driving to school, driving to the park. We're not on the floor, but we are at the child's level. Mm-hmm. We need to know where the child is capable and get at that level. When you want to challenge the child, challenge is not bad. Challenge is the other side of the coin of being at their level. And then what do you do? You challenge. You challenge the just right challenge. Otherwise, the child will leave you and walk off. Uh, he wouldn't want you to hold the, the props uh, or fix things uh, for him. If you are giving the just right challenge, your kiddo will stay with you because he's interested. And I think you just pinpointed the exact um, issue that parents have when they're learning floor time that makes it so challenging for them is they're always coming at it from a level that might be a little bit too high developmentally from where their child is and the child, well, whenever I try and play with my child, they walk away. They're not interested in talking to me. They're not interested. And really getting the parent to shift it and say, it's not about the child not being interested. It's about you not being interested in what the child is doing. So just shifting that is a really hard thing for a lot of parents. Some I find are naturals at it and others it really it can take a bit, but usually it's just practice for the parents too. Once you get in there and meet the child where the child's at, it might seem in some cases so simple. Uh, what do you mean they don't understand this or they're not capable of this? Like, no, of course they do because you really want them to be at a certain place, but they not might not quite be ready to be there yet. And meeting them where they are and letting them go through these experiments through these interactions and playful scenarios, helping them work through the emotions and the emotional development is really the key in floor time that a lot of us have so much problems with because we have issues with our own emotional development. Let's face it um, in our society. So 
that that really is the key letting the children play and feel everything they're feeling and getting in there and helping them feel safe and working through it and it can take this is this is what i wish this is what all parents want and wish i wish i could give but it's not possible do this do that and then do this and then do that and oh if your kids this then do this there's no instruction book because every child's going to react differently and my son would have no interest in crocodiles and tigers at all but that kid he needed the crocodiles and tigers so it really it's really trial and error or the dance as dr newfeld says it's it's learning the dance and then the child you might master the dance and the child develops and you got to find a new dance <laughs> it's always a dynamic process yes, yes. because it's um it's a natural living social being that we we can't fake it we cannot fake it because our kids are hypersensitive to our state of mind and our feelings they can read us better than we can read ourselves so we have to be loyal to the situation and if you script it then you're not relaxed you, your mind you're trying to remember you're not true to what's happening in that interaction and i do understand that a lot of parents would like uh, the best of everything for their kids they want to make sure that uh, they have it they want to bring the moon to their kids but if this is it there are different ways you can come top down but how much can a child take top that how can anyone take top down instruction teaching 24/7 um another moment of my own um uh, work life experience uh, are those questions testing questions what's this what's that what's this and the kiddo starts to feel that he's under the gun how many times can any one of us big young kiddo take of those testing questions now the intent of the caregiver or the parent is to reassure themselves that the kiddo has the answer I know he has the answer but I want to be real it's not about us it's about answering the kiddo's question even though the question some of them are very verbal and they do trick us we think that they have more than it is really true so we have to make sure that comprehension is there before we ask them those questions that they need to reply they may not be able to comprehend our questions to start with they may have the answer but the form of language we use the intent the situation is not so transparent for them to be able to come with an answer even if it is scripted so comprehension is number 1 it's about them 
It's about getting them to hop in on our bandwagon. And it doesn't happen by telling them, jump, jump, jump. No. It's by reaching, giving them a hand, seeing if they're ready. And when they're ready, nudge them. And they understand that they are to climb up and they want to. That's, that's a human instinct. I want to be with the others. I want to be definitely with my parents. I want to be my parents. Uh, with other kiddos, having fun in the playground. They're dying for it. It's not a question they don't want. It's they can't. So we have to give them a hand. Yeah. I like how, um, I mean, many people say this, but I know Dr. Kathy Platzman, the psychologist in Atlanta, says um, if they want, they want a T-shirt, she wants to put a T-shirt on the back of the kids that says, if I could, I would, but I can't, so I don't. So don't, don't constantly expect things out of me that I'm not yet capable of. I will get there, but I need some support along the way and understanding and compassion. Um, we won't have time to get into this, but I want to refer people back to the podcast I did with um, Jean Christian a few weeks back, where we spent a lot of time discussing what you and I didn't discuss today, which is that effective reciprocal interaction, nonverbal communication, because you made me think of it when you just said children that are quite verbal trick us sometimes. Um, I know once my son started talking, I would be in the other room talking to him and we're missing all of that interpersonal body language and, and affect. And you can just think that because you're talking and the child's answering but if you miss out on those early capacities of developing the social cues that that um, checking in and seeing the like like um, affective meaning different facial expressions, tone of voice, body language, reciprocal because it's back and forth. I could have a conversation with you with no words right now, and you might know what I'm doing if I went. Like you get the gist of it because we're having that reciprocal communication that's nonverbal. So Jean Christian did such a great job of really pushing that point across. So I would refer people back to that podcast. Um, and is there anything, I, I think we covered a lot of ground, how we approach scripting, how um, we meet the child developmentally where they are. We focus on their interests and meeting them with what they're intrinsically motivated to do and helping nudge them along. Um, is there anything you'd like to leave our listeners with uh, before we sign off today? Um, I'm going to repeat the word for those who are scripting. It's comprehension. Comprehension, 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 comprehension. We need to emphasize that with comprehension, within a back and forth, is the foundation for language and communication. Because we can't have communication without language. And to have language, we have to have comprehension. And it only comes within the interaction 
And that's the foundation. And Jim Christian would say there's no comprehension without the affective reciprocal interaction, the pre-verbal social communication that neurotypical kids get before they even start talking. Thank you so much, Jahan. This was um, a wonderful discussion on scripting. And for those listening, um, you can go to affectautism.com and you can type in the search Jahan, J-E-H-A-N, Jahan, and it should come up. Um, or just type in scripting and there will be a um, audio version of the podcast. It'll be on YouTube, the video, or the blog post at affectautism.com. It was wonderful talking with you, Jahan. Same here. Always, Daria. Thank you. Until next time, here's to affecting autism through play.